Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. You're listening to Education in the News, and this is your host, Pamela Clark. As normal, we cover a lot of news stories um, of educational topics that are in the news around the U.S. and around the world. As usual, lots is happening, so let's get right into today's show so we don't waste any time. Insider High Ed reports that a study on hand signals improves students' Zoom experience. Students who use hand signals during Zoom lessons, including using two thumbs up to express agreement, have more positive feelings about their classmates and report they learn more. According to a study led by Paul Mills, an experimental psychologist at the University College of London, in the study, a separate group of students who used emojis, not hand signals, did not report the same benefits. And have you heard of this study? What do you think of that? Love to hear from you. Another study was reported on by K-12 Dive, and it says that classroom materials is shifting to digital Use of all print classroom materials was about 5% this spring, down from 22% during the 2018-2019 school year. According to a survey of 1,015 pre-kindergarten through grade 12 teachers and 454 administrators from 49 states and the District of Columbia by Bayview Analytics, of those surveyed, 42% said they used a combination of print and digital materials. I think that's kind of asking for trouble. I don't know what you think, but I mean, I personally would rather have a book in my hand and, um, you know, actual classroom materials that I can hold and and share and stuff. Um, And we see kind of what (laughs) a digital messes can happen even in the in medical or, um, well, in, for anybody. I mean, if, if your internet goes down and all of your your information is digital, then how do you access it? I mean, I know I've dealt with things like that, and it's really aggravating. So I've tried to always kind of mirror both. So I have either or if, if I don't have the internet. But what are, what are your thoughts? Have you had frustrations along those lines or are your children at school? I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on all of this? Um, Vice News reports that Raytheon girls who code create job pathway from college. Raytheon is teaming up with the nonprofit Girls Who Code to establish a leadership academy for college students in STEM and create a pathway for jobs after graduation. The Leadership Academy aims to provide students from historically underrepresented groups with increased exposure to tech careers by empowering them with a supportive community of peers and professional development opportunities, according to the company. EdTech reports that California superintendent preps for tech-driven year. Michael McCormick, a superintendent, of the Val Verde Unified School District in California has plans to upgrade and expand use of technology in schools this year. Plans include scaling up a pilot program of artificial intelligence based on Merlin 
Symphony Classroom and replacing projectors with 40 80 inch interactive displays. K-12 Dive reports that FEMA funds to help schools reopen safely. Funds from the Federal Emergency and Management Agency are helping schools offset the cost of responding to the coronavirus pandemic. The agency reports that particularly for cleaning and disinfecting. Superintendent Joseph Ricca of New York's White Plains Public Schools said the district is expected to use $1.5 million from FEMA to help disinfect and purchase personal protective equipment and other resources. Uh, Insider Higher Ed reports that virtual exchanges can expand global horizons. Learning abroad programs often exclude lower-income students, but virtual exchange programs allow students to connect with their peers in other countries to discuss issues. Studies at Porterville College in California met with Iraqi students over 10 weeks to discuss an energy crisis and develop a possible solution. New Heights sort of does that um, as well. I mean, we have our leadership groups that are from, that. well, it has students from all over the world and different age groups in it as well. So, um, and they brainstorm a lot of things like that too. And it's really neat to watch. I always watch the, the videos from the meeting once a month and um, it's it's really really a great thing for these students to be able to talk to other people from other countries and and cr create a plan for their futures or share their projects and their goals and it always puts a smile on my face when I listen to their their meeting or playback. Anyways back to the stories. Um, CIO uh, reports that Futurist now is the time to get into the metaverse train. The metaverse is an undefined amalgam amalgam of technologies and concepts, including augmented virtual and extended reality, plus blockchain, non-fundable tokens, and Web3, writes futurist Thornton May. Despite the vague understanding of and lackluster demand on metaverse capabilities. Organizations should start testing prototypes in this potentially disruptive field, or they may find themselves left behind their competitors. Um, yeah, so what do you think of that? They keep talking a lot about these sorts of things and, and the digital. Digital seems to be the way that everyone wants to go. And, you know, it has pros and cons. I mean, I think there should be a healthy balance of both. Okay, the next stories I have from you are from um, Homeschool Legal Defense. And it says that District does 180 school attorneys apologize to family. To escape the crime that had invaded their Oregon neighborhood, a homeschool family moved to West Virginia. There they encountered a new kind of lawlessness, this type perpetrated by government school officials. Ooh, that doesn't sound good, does it? This says that after a fatal shooting occurred in their Oregon neighborhood, a homeschooling family moved to West Virginia. Okay, um, 
Let's see. Although the family of eight promptly submitted all the necessary documentation to homeschool in the Mountain State, which their county school board acknowledged, the family was shocked to receive a letter from their county attendance director stating that officials were re-enrolling one of the family's children in public schools for non-compliance. Why this family left Portland in 2021. As the father told me the story, it was no longer possible for us to live peacefully in Portland. The crime was getting so bad in our area of the city. A person shot and killed outside our, our town home. We struggled financially due to the pandemic, but my wife was able to secure employment in West Virginia near her extended family, so I stayed home to homeschool the kids. I had two college degrees, but my field is shrinking, so we had to move. He added that relocating provided an extra benefit in the form of a more flexible homeschool laws. Quote, I was glad to find that West Virginia allowed non-testing options as some of our kids have special learning needs and don't do standardized tests. Even so, the father said, quote, I was shocked to receive the letter from the school board saying they were re-enrolling my son in the school because they didn't have an assessment for the third grade. We did not... We had not placed our son in third grade, and we had not enrolled him in the school anyway, so I was really astonished. Homeschool Legal Defense learned that about this family situation through Christian Home Educators of West Virginia, one of several groups that are instrumental to the support of homeschooling in the state. Taking action, they said, this is continuing with what they, they're saying, after I contacted the dad and then made several attempts to reach the attendant Attendance officer, I sent the officer a letter pointing out that state law specifically exempts children from compulsory attendance after their parents' notice of intent has been received and acknowledged by county officials. Investigating further, I discovered that the West Virginia Department of Education, also known as WVDE, had apparently, in quotations, directed attendance officers all over the state that they should re-enroll homeschool children who were deemed not in compliance with the homeschool law. As I reported earlier this year, WFDE was also been telling counties to unlawfully obtain, store, and use student data, such as birth dates, to determine grade levels for the purpose of tracking and assessing reporting. Could these state-level directives be related to the country's attendance officer's letter to the family in this story? Faulty policy. Expressing these concerns in my letter to the school district, I explained that these parents knew West Virginia law requires an assessment for students in third grade, but that they had not officially placed their son in third grade. Consequently, demands by officials for an assessment of the student were based on an assumption and not a fact. I added, quote, I am unaware of any provisions of the law that allow school districts to re-enroll a child in the public school as a consequence for non-compliance with the homeschool law. I am also unaware of any legal authority that empowers any school official to enroll the family's child in a school absent parent parental consent. Because the parents have compelled or comply, I'm sorry, complied with the provisions of West Virginia Code 18-8-1, their son is exempt from compulsory school attendance. This student has never been, quote, enrolled in the school, and thus it would be impossible to re-enroll him. 
right. I was thinking that too. I concluded the West Virginia Department of Education has no lawful authority to direct any county to take any action with respect to homeschool students. I respectfully urge the county to seize and desist from enforcing unlawful policies. The next morning after I sent the letter, the school district replied assuring me that they had made a mistake. Officials promised that no students would be enrolled or re-enrolled in that county school as a result of not producing annual academic assessments. It's refreshing to see a county board of education lawyer quickly grasping the law, taking immediate corrective action, and sincerely desiring a good relationship with local homeschoolers. Quote, we have a great homeschool. We have great homeschool families in the community, the district's lawyer told me. Quote, we value education and we want to have a good relationship with our homeschooling parents. So that was uh, shared by Michael Donnelly from Homeschool Legal Defense. Great job, Michael. We'll be sharing that probably in our Christmas or November, December um, magazine. Maybe. <laughs> They're always, we try to share them in the magazine, but um, depends how many articles we already have and we usually set up months and months ahead. So, anyways, it'll be in an upcoming magazine for sure. They also have a, a, an article. I'm not going to read it all, but it's again from Homeschool Legal Defense, and it says homeschooling helps Hispanic families bridge languages and cultures. An increasing number of Hispanic families are embracing homeschooling as a way to honor their culture and help their kids learn in more than one language. I think that's kind of neat. It's neat that they think that they can, um, excuse me, it's great to see that they they value this and that they're recognizing this um, in one of their mailings. So good job, Homeschool Legal Defense. All right. Next story I have from you is from Chalkbeat, and it's uh, from Colorado. So Colorado, Colorado districts step up dyslexia screening. Several schools, districts in Colorado, or Colorado, sorry, are stepping up their dyslexia screening programs, going beyond what re what's required by the state in the hopes that identifying and assisting students earlier in their academic careers will improve outcomes. Literacy director. Michelle Quasi of the Boulder Valley School District said two-thirds of the students identified by screenings in the district did not meet state requirements for assistance, suggesting that without the screenings, they may not otherwise have been identified. Also, from, this is from Smart Brief on Education, says educator engage students with disabilities in STEM there are many benefits to developing STEM learning opportunities for students with disabilities, writes Joanne Blum Blumenfield, Program Director of Catalyst and GIST at North Carolina State University. Blumenfield serves several positive goals of these initiatives include preparing students with disabilities for post-secondary degree programs in STEM and lowering unemployment, unemployment among people with disabilities.
WILX-TV in Lansing, Jackson, Michigan, reports that Michigan Education Department releases the Dyslexia Guidebook. A guidebook produced by the Michigan Department of Education is aimed at bridging identification and intervention gaps for students with dyslexia in the state. The book explains teaching practices and strategies and offers information on support systems for students with dyslexia. We're going to, have to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. More news stories. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying the New Heights show on education and want to support or donate to our organization, please visit www.newheightseducation.org. And while you're there, check out our online store. Welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. You're listening to Education on the News, and I'm Pamela Clark. Getting right back into the news stories. This one's from Healthy Day News, and it says kids with Down syndrome may prefer certain food textures. Children with Down syndrome, syndrome who may have a higher choking risk had different preferences in food texture compared with children who did not have Down syndrome. According to a study published in the Journal of Texture Studies, children with Down syndrome preferred easily dissolvable corn puffs and other nutrient snacks. I have a uh, recording that, um, I don't know if it was shared with me, I can't remember how I came across it, but um, it was on TikTok and it's of a dad talking to a school board. So I'm going to play that really quickly for you, and then we can discuss it. For allowing me to speak to you tonight, but you try not to allow it, yet here I am. Now you only give us 60 seconds, so let me get to the point. You are all child abusers. You prey upon impressionable children and indoctrinate them into your insane ideological cult, a cult which holds many fanatical views, but none so deranged as the idea that boys are girls and girls are boys. By imposing this vile nonsense on students to the point even of forcing young girls to share locker rooms with boys, you deprive these kids of safety and privacy and something more fundamental too, which is truth. If education is not grounded in truth, then it is worthless. Worse, it is poison. You are poison. You are predators. I can see why you try to stop us from speaking. You know that your ideas are indefensible. You silence the opposing side because you have no argument. You can only hide under your beds like pathetic little gutless cowards hoping we shut up and go away. But we won't. I promise you that. I'm not sure which school board that was from. Um, it has 257.6 thousand listens. Or actually, I should say loves. And um, it's been shared over 21,000 times. And I wish that it showed where it was at. And I know this. they said that um, the, the dad's name is Matt. But that's about all I know. So what are your thoughts? Um, I know there's a lot of different things like this. 
um, circulating in the schools. Um, parents are very frustrated for a lot of different reasons, from curriculum to what he was discussing uh, to fulfilling that their children just aren't safe in general and the gaps in education. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. What did you think of that audio? What did you think about what he said? Can you relate to it? Um, I'd love to hear from you. Okay, so this next story I have for you is from Battle Creek Inquirer in Michigan. And it's titled, Principals Reflects Prepares to Provide Student Support. High school student, students need the support of teachers and staff in their schools, says Tyler Gillian recently installed as executive principal of Battle Creek Central High School in Michigan, which has 1,200 students. Gillian described his own struggles in school and how the support of his high school counselor and teachers helped him to get to where he is today, support that he wants to pass along to students. K-12 Dive reports that in Arizona, that they're using COVID-19 or funds for state teacher residency. Arizona has invested $5 million in federal COVID-19 relief funds and a grant to create and expand its state teacher residency, pro residency program. The state has thousands of teacher vacancies and the program launched this year with 30 residents in the first cohort, a number that is hoped to expand to 100 per class in the coming years. What are your thoughts of that? I mean, different things run through my head as I'm sharing it with you. Um, do you agree that the government the and taxpayers should be paying for, you know, these residencies for teachers? Um, now, I'm all for teachers, teachers' rights, don't get me wrong. But to me, it kind of, it's odd because... Why not just pay them a better salary? I mean, why do you do it this way? Why can't you just give teachers more money out of what they get? And I know they act like they don't get that much, but they do. So, and I know the amounts, and I've discussed them on here before. So why not just give them a competitive wage that they can live on? I, I don't understand this avenue that they're taking, but um, do you know anything about it? Okay, the next story I have for you um, is from Benefits Pro. I've never heard of that one before today. But it says 80% of U.S. workers are considering the impact of inflation as they make career choices and changes in another 73% are factoring a possible recession into the decision. According to the report by Flex Jobs, among other findings, 16% of respondents who took a new job during the pandemic said they regretted it due to issues with company culture, supervisors, and a lack of respect. Let's see, this one is from K-12 Dive, and it says, Study, libraries can 
provide more affordable web access analysis from the Telecom Advisory Services says public institutions such as schools and libraries can provide internet services to families at a cheaper cost than hotspots. The study recommends that lawmakers allow these institutions to create their own networks that families and students can use as needed. <laughs> now, I, I, I do want to discuss this one in a little more depth because I'm aware of some things that maybe you're not aware of, but um, New Heights Educational Group, um, which is the home the, the main organization to the New Heights Show on Education, um, we have many partners that provide like discounted and free internet access. And I was recently trying to help somebody that lived in another state access some of that. And they had previously been giving given access from the schools to have in their, you know, that that could ricochet into their homes and everything. And it stopped working, so I said, well, maybe you should just call them, um, because I did look up and there was some mention of it in the state that it was one of the gover governor's initiatives to make sure that people have access to um, internet, and these people needed it because they have young children and um, they also needed tutoring, so they needed internet access, so they called the school, and the school gave them some story of why they couldn't do it. And I think they directed them to somebody else, but he, they even checked out all of the, the, the sites that we partner with and everything. And they still were going to be charged. Like, I think they said 40, $45 a month for internet, which if it's discounted and free, I was really surprised. And it was a bit, well, a lot higher than what I'd heard that it was through even our partners. So, um, yeah, it, it's a concern, especially in the times we're living in. Maybe not so much before COVID, but now since COVID and more and more people leave in the school system and they still have to pay taxes. They still have to pay, just like if they, your kids were sitting there, they get about half the amount of money instead of all of it. But um, yeah, it, they should still have access to internet, in my opinion. I mean, what are your thoughts? Um, I think that something needs to be done and they need to be consistent when it's done because if they were offering it to this family before and now they're not, that's not cool. So, I mean, you know, why, why would you do that? So, anyways, interesting thought. Um, I mean, because who is paying for the internet that the school is using? The taxpayers. So when you look at it like that, families should have internet at home using that same thing. And if they have to chip in a little, it's, I mean, there should be some kind of automatic limit, um, maybe 10 a month, if, if even that. I, I don't know, but I think it needs to be discussed and looked at in a serious way because, especially if they want everything to go digital, I mean... Even the homework's going to be digital then. Internet has to be solved, the issue, the, the crisis of it. So that's my opinion. I'd love to hear from you, though, but what do you think? Um, education in North Carolina reported that um, data showed that a young North Carolina student shows gains toward reading. The North Carolina Department of Public Instruction has released some data showing 
that the state's kindergarten through second grade students showed improvements last year across five foundational skills that led to reading proficiency, including phonics, vocabulary, and fluency. Such data for third grade students has been separated from K-12 to and will, re will be released next week with the end of grade tests that gauge actual reading skills. On that one. Okay, so the next one I have is from the Ohio Department of Education, State and Local New Education News. It says Parma City Schools threading needle through school bus driver shortage. This is from Cleveland.com. The Ohio Education Association recently reported that compared to 2019 Buckeye State. School districts are starting this year with 17,000 fewer people working in K-12 education. That is a lot. It's a big number. One of the most glaring positions is a lack of school bus drivers. Parma City School Superintendent Charles Similac said the district currently has roughly 75 drivers, which is down from 100 years ago. Cincinnati Fox 19 reports that new educational savings program is available. The Ohio Department of Education wants residents to know just because a family budget is tight does not mean kids have to miss out on critical development and skills like music lessons or tutoring. Considering something new in Ohio, the After School Child Enrichment or ACE Educational Savings Program, it provides families who are 300% below the federal poverty level with children ages 6 to 18 a $500 credit that can be used to pay for a variety of activities designed to accelerate learning. They include that include but are not limited to before and after school education program, fees for learning extension centers, at home learning based materials, select field trips, language classes, music lessons, and tutoring. Lorraine Morning Journal reports that Lorraine County Educational Service Center Governor Board VP Melda received state award. Lorraine Morning Journal, the Educational Service Center of Lorraine County Governing Board Vice President Deborah Melda has been named recipient of the 2023 Ohio School Boards Association Master Board Member Award. According to the Director of Board and Management Services, Cheryl W. Ryan, in a news release, a board member who earns each component of the STAR Awards programs, including service, training, aptitude, and recognition, in a three-year period attains the status of master board member. And Youngstown CBS 27 News reports that Mahoning School District looking to fill multiple positions. Not all schools have started back. One of the three districts in Mahoning School County still is awaiting start to class in Jackson Milton. It has some open positions for the school year. Jackson Milton has immediate openings and one of the most important is in the cafeteria. A cook is being hired by the elementary school. The position is from 9.30 to 2 p.m. on school days. Columbus NBC4 reports that two Hilliard teachers to undergo surgery after discovering kidney match the lives of two Hilliard school, city school teachers 
will forever change this Friday. Scott Allen and Amy Case, who met more than 10 years ago while teaching at Hilliard Bradley High School, are poised to go under the knife as part of a procedure that will save one of their lives. Wow, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? What do you think of that? Okay, let's see. The next story I have for you is from Chicago Chalk Beat. It says new curriculum includes lesson on nuclear power. Educators at Chicago's National Teachers Academy helped develop a new curriculum focused on Asian American history, the atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, as well as the U.S. complicated relationship with nuclear power. The educators now are hoping to expand the curriculum to more schools, saying it complies with new state education requirements. National Public Radio reports that Maine schools to maintain universal mills. Maine will continue to serve free school mills to every student in the state despite the loss of federal waivers. When Wyndham Raymond School District, RSU 14, served free meals during the previous school year, Director of School Nutrition Jeannie Riley said the district served 45% more meals than prior to the coronavirus pandemic. Education Week reports that more illnesses could drive school absences. Experts are urging school leaders to be prepared to adapt protocols created because of the coronavirus pandemic in response to other disease outbreaks. At issue, they say that social distances and other factors may increase the spread of respiratory bugs and other childhood illnesses this school year. New Jersey Media Group in Woodland Park, New Jersey, reports that a high schooler uses book proceeds to support library. An incoming senior at Hawthorne High School in New Jersey began writing at the start of the coronavirus pandemic and has now released his fifth book, a Western novella um, called Still and Bone. Paul Durer says he used the proceeds from book sales to make purchases for a school, including supplies for teachers as well as books and board games for the school's library. Wow, what an amazing kid. All right, let's see here. Okay, well, I have multiples here I'm debating on. Uh, let's see, this one is from Philanthropy News Digest, and it says, Foundation for Jewish Philanthropy has announced $26 million fund. The Ann Alford and Mansion Fisk, F-I-S-K-E, Sertum Charitable Foundation and Endowment Fund, Established at the foundation will distribute a total of approximately 
one million annually to three Western New York organizations. And four funders commit to Climate Funders Justice Pledge, the Climate Initiative, Solidaire Network, the Christensen Fund, and the David and Lucille Packard Foundation have joined the donors of Color Network Pledge to make the climate-related grants transparent and or direct at least 30% of climate-related funding to that of Black, Indigenous, and people of color-led justice groups. Okay. Um, the next story I have from you, for you is from Fee. Opening it up just a moment. It says, Jesus would support student debt forgiveness? Question mark. This was written by Lawrence Reed, and it says, not so fast. Okay, so those who think that the Lord's Prayer and Jubilee support their political goal of blanket debt forgiveness should, also, should take a closer look at the Bible and Jewish history. Two authors of a recent Time magazine commentary want you to believe that Jesus Christ supports the Biden administration's plan to cancel $500 billion in student loans. According to William J. Barber II and Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, debt forgiveness is, after all, something Jesus taught his disciples to pray for. Somehow I missed that commandment. Nearly a week since the Time published the commentary in question, I'm still searching the New Testament for anything that Jesus said that sounds like that. Quote, thou shalt foist the burdens you choose, chose unto those who didn't choose them, or thou shalt buy the votes for some with money seized from others, or keep your word and your honor, your promises, unless a politician lets you off the hook and transfers you're responsible to innocent parties. What Barber and Wilson Hartgrove claims that quote Jesus taught his disciples to pray for is not relief from a freely contracted, contracted student loan or home mortgage or car payment. The site, the famous passage, Matthew 6, 14 from the Sermon of the Mount, quote, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors, which is more commonly translated from original language to forgive us our trespasses or our sins as we forgive those who have trespassed or sinned against us. At the core of the matter is sin, a wrong committed against a person or property, and the response suggested is a spiritual one. That is, forgiving attitude, not necessarily a physical or economic one. Drawn from the Lord's Prayer, the passage urges each individual to seek forgiveness from God for his offenses and for that person to likewise forgive other people for the offenses they committed against them. Then forgive. forgiveness of this sort is undertaken. Note the parties involved, trespasser A, God, trespasser B, and C and D, and so on, if more parties were engaged in trespassing against A. No one else is in the picture. Let's say you stole from someone who then beat you up. You ask forgiveness for your theft, and then you forgive the guy who punched you in the face. Each act of forgiveness is voluntary and from the heart. The last thing you should do is team up on him and give, and go loot and assault innocent bystanders. Yet this is precisely what Barber and Wilson and Hargrove endorse as 
Christ-like. They are drafting innocent and, in many cases, utterly unwilling bystanders, the taxpayers, into the equation. There is nothing more than ramming one political's agenda down Jesus' throat, an offense for which the author should immediately beg for forgiveness. Moreover, the whole thing is compulsory, not voluntary. If you avoided student loans before Biden's debt cancellation, you're a suckers. You're a sucker who just ran out of luck. As a taxpayer, you now have the burden that was not your choice of $500 billion. Forgiveness is now your obligation, and you'll pay it through taxes or inflation or both. Don't say, thank you, Jesus. Instead, cry, no thanks, Joe Biden. Barber and Wilson, Hartgrove, Twist, and other biblical moments you justify Biden plan named the Jubilee reference in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. One must be careful in applying Old Testament practices to modern post-Christ times. Otherwise, we might make our car payments by sacrificing a lamb a month. Christian teachings hold that the coming of Jesus did not disparage or nullify every previous custom, but it did proclaim a new covenant again or against which our thoughts and actions now will be judged. So, um, there's more to this article. We'll, we'll, we'll have it in the uh, magazine as well. I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, we don't normally, um, talk about any specific candidate. I'm reading an article because I thought it was interesting. And I do think it's a, and if they're using it, they're not supposed to be using it like that, but, um, but I was listening to Stephen Gardner. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. It's um, S-T-E-V-E-N. Gardner, I think it's G-A-R-D-N-E-R is how he spells his name. And I listen to him on YouTube. And he's somebody that gives you daily um, updates of what's happening in Washington, D.C. And I listen to him on a regular basis. And he was talking about this the other day, actually. And he was saying that 45%, I knew it was a high number, I didn't know it was this high, 45% of people that get a high school, or I'm sorry, a college degree, cannot use that degree. They cannot find work in that degree. 45%. So what does that tell us? That tells us that students are maybe choosing the wrong career path, maybe something they're not even interested in, and and not fulfilling what's required of them, or they lose interest, um, or they get their degree and, and well, they just can't find a job or they'll have to relocate. Um, I mean, it's, it tells us a lot of different things, but 45%, and, and they're going into debt for life to get these, when no bank would even give you a fraction of that for even starting a business. But they are allowing these kids with no credit history, fresh out of high school, to to do this. And it's really appalling, and it's a burden on families. And college is not right for everyone. And you do not need a college degree for every position on the planet. I mean, some of the richest people in the world, the most successful business entrepreneurs do not have a college degree and some of them don't even look at them when people come to apply to work with them so um, you can look that up for yourself as well 
and and see what I'm talking about. But it's it's really it's really awful that it's come to this point. So, and and I do have mixed feelings about it because I do believe that, especially if someone's paying taxes, their school the the fees for education should be covered for children uh, and their families. So, and and that could be incorporated into college as well because society all benefits from that. Um, but not in the way that they're doing it now. It really seems underhanded and it doesn't, they're really picking and choosing who gets what and it's not right. So that's my opinion. But anyways, um, the next bit of news I have for me is Philanthropy News Digest again. And it says National Philanthropy Trust awarded $5.53 billion and FY in 2022, for the first time NPT's 26-year history, the number of grants and charities exceeded 100,000, representing an increase of 17% compared to fiscal year 2021. Geraldine R. Dodge Foundation awards more than $5 million in grants. The Dodge Foundation provided multi-year funding to several partner organizations representing a collaborative strategy for providing space, time, and opportunity for each organization to strengthen and build their capacity and encourage new voices and funding partners. Okay. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group educational resources to help reach your goals. Welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. This is your host, Pamela Clark. And I'm sharing news stories around the U.S. and from all over the world. A few more for you. I know we're running kind of late, um, so we only have so many more that we can do. Um, now, the actual next one, the next story I have for you is from the Crescent News, which is a local news stage news magazine or not magazine newspaper a newspaper here in Pines, ohio where uh, new heights educational group and the new heights show on educate on education is at but um, this is from the actual newspaper and it says holgate schools to make safety improvements with state grant holgate local school districts has landed new funding for construction with a state safety grant Superintendent Kelly Myers reported during Monday's board meeting that the district has been awarded an Ohio Facilities Construction Commission school grant of $50,000. In quote, these funds will be used to pay for the two-lane driveway that connects the east and south parking lot, says Myers. Quote, we were originally declined due to a lack of available funds last year, but Governor Mike DeWine recently allocated an additional $47 million to schools that were declined last year. According to Myers, a lawyer of 
gravel already has been put down in the fall of 2021. The total cost at that time was $24,675. At a price of $27,000, a layer of asphalt will be laid this fall. The driveway is a safety feature to allow first responders access to campus in an event of an emergency. The safety feature, along with several others, were determined as necessary modifications after the school full-scale drill last year. Schools begins this fall on August 23rd with a delayed start by appointment for kindergarten on August 23rd, 24th. School bus routes may be longer this year because of a driver shortage, but adjustments have been made. In other news, the school board accepted resignation of a bus driver, Natalie Taylor, and intervention specialist, Kayla Prigg, and approved a two-year contract with Spencer Root as middle and high school principal, effective August 1st, 2023 through July 31st, 2025. They also approved Nancy Gherkin and Gregory Schur as long-term substitute bus drivers, effective August 23rd, 2022, and May 25th, 2023. They approved a one-year contract with Lene Arps as a teacher and entered into a contract with Pat Repair Service for the purpose of needed repairs or replacements of district vehicles and ensuring the availability of vehicles in safe and operating condition, effective August 1st, 2022 to July 31st, 2023. They accepted a supplemental contract for the 2022-2023 school year with Bryce Nick Koppenhofer as assistant football coach. And they approved volunteers for 2022-2023 school, Joseph Kelly, Molly Yenser, Laura Nienberg, and Natalie Pitney for band. Carly Brubaker, volleyball, and Tim Kelly Jr., or Tim Kelly Jr., girls basketball accepted agreement with Wood County Juvenile Detention Center for 2022-2023 school year at a cost of $80 per student per day when assigned to the center. The rate goes up to $85 per day per student when the individual is assigned to the juvenile uh, residential center. They also accepted donations of an American flag from William Helmke, American Legion Auxiliary Number for Unit 340 and the HUDL camera equipment from the athletic boosters. They appointed middle and high school principals Spencer Root and elementary principal Lori Young as Title IX Section 504 coordinator and sexual harassment compliance officers. They designated Diane Nicholson, Carrie Delano, Casey Kelly, and Rachel Woods to administrator medications for the 2022 2023 school year. Just a moment. I thought there was another one in here I wanted to share with you. Yes, that was it. I thought there was two in there, but must have been mistaken. <laughs> All right, let me see what else I have for you to share. Okay.
sorry, give me a moment. I have to switch. Mm. <laughs> All right, let's see. This is from Ohio Ed Updates. And this um, was a mailing I received from the Ohio Department of Education. And it says, Reaching All Students Through Language and Literacy Grant Program. The Ohio Department of Education announced Reaching All Students Through Language and Literacy Grants. The focus of the grant program is to provide training and support for educators and draw on the family and community resources to improve quality of literacy instruction. The department expects to award $4 million to uh, twenty subgrantees up to 200,000 per site. The project will develop a two-year network of educators from grantee schools. Network meetings will occur monthly through 2022-2023 and 2023-2024 academic year on a virtual platform. At least one award will be set aside for the most qualified application from a community school and dropout prevention and recovery community school groups or networks of schools may also reply. The financial application was submitted, must be submitted comprehensive continuous improvement plan CCIP by September 15th. And you can find that on the Ohio Department of Education website if you're interested. And, um, a moment. You could type in as a keyword, reaching all students, Ohio. Um, just a moment, I'm trying to see if there's any other information I can save. All right. Middle Web on Smart Briefs and WMGT-TV of Macon, Georgia, says that a system helps Georgia measure weather data. Students at Georgia Middle School are getting hands-on lessons in weather data collection using the school's weather system, which tracks the current temperature, wind speed, and direction, humidity, and rainfall totals. Rutland Middle School system helps spark students' interest in meteorology which is a component in many STEM careers, says science teacher Lindsey Brown. The 74 reports the schools see benefits of academic career plans. Academic career plans help students understand the purpose and the meaning of what they're learning, says Scott Solberg, vice president of research in the Coalition for Career Development Center and a professor at Boston University. In Denver School District, Samantha Haviland, the Executive Director of Career Development and Student Support, says academic career plans are accredited with boosting attendance, GPAs, test scores, and graduation rates. CNN reports or asks the question, what should schools do about monkeypox? While monkeypox has been rare in schools or children so far, Schools are preparing for the potential risk posed by the virus as schools reopen for the fall semester. The CDC says schools should follow the typical protocols to keep the virus at bay and lower transmission. Great Falls, Montana's KRTV-TV radio station 
says that district pilots using shorter, more frequent tests, a pilot program being rolled out in Greater Falls Public Schools in Montana, will explore the benefits of incremental assessments to improve performance with, while elevating, or I'm sorry, alleviating student stress about major tests. The pilot, which will be done in the fifth and seventh grade classes, will allow students to immediately determine what students have retained and what they need to reteach, says reteach students, says Carol Paul, the district's student services coordinator. Okay, and actually, um, I forgot when I was reading that newspaper article, I was going to tell you who wrote that. Let me uh, grab that real quick. It wasn't, uh, I mean, I try to cite all of these since, since I go all over the place with the news stories. I try to cite where they're from and who writes them. The Holgate School update thing that I was reading to you was written by Tim Reynolds at the Crescent News. Just FYI. Don't claim to write any of these things that I'm sharing in general. Um, they're from other news stations and so forth. I'm just trying to coordinate them and bring you the news from all over so you have a, a good picture of what's happening in education. All right, let me check our time. We only have about a minute or so. Let's see. Um, Edge Surge says that Illuminate Education bought by Renaissance Learning. Renaissance Learning, a K-12 educational software services firm, has acquired Illuminate Education, which earlier this month was removed from the future of Privacy Forum's, quote, student privacy pledge. After a data breach that comprised data for millions of students nationwide, the deal announced Monday comes after Renaissance Learning acquired Nearpod last year. The Tahoe Daily Tribune in California reports that a volunteer helps make bring makerspace to uh, Nevada, yeah, Nevada school. Uh, the creation of makerspace at Zephyr Cove Elementary School in Nevada started nine years ago when a volunteer donated weaving looms to the school's art class and has grown to a dedicated space where students create art, explore technology, and learn important skills. This year, the official space will cover STEM topics, including lessons about reading maps featuring topographical maps created using a 3D printer. <clears throat> and Austin American Statesman in Texas reports that Samsung gives $1 million to Taylor, Texas schools, charities. Samsung, in a ceremony last week, said that it will be donating $250,000 each to the Boys and Girls Club of Eastern Williamson County, Blue Bonnet Trails, Shepherd's Heart Food Pantry and Community Ministries, and the Taylor, Texas School District. The Boys and Girls Club chapter will use the funds to support more children in need, while Shepherd's Heart plans to expand its services for impoverished people and complete a GED and skills training facility. Inside Higher Ed says that an app enables marching bands to go paperless. 
college march, marching bands are going digital using the Ultimate Drill book app to plan their routines instead of creating them on paper. Two brothers developed the app from the University of Texas and Longhorn Band and plan to incorporate sheet music into the app in time for fall practice. And last but not least, People Matters in India reports that cybersecurity job seekers must possess these skills. Tech pros who want post-COVID-19 cybersecurity jobs must be good networkers, particularly in data management and system administration, writes Tech Jobs Fair CEO Ajak Dudet. They must also have expertise on multiple operating systems such as Windows, Linux, and Mac OS and must know the basics of securing network and cloud systems. Well, my friends, this brings us to the end of another show, The New Heights Show on Education. I appreciate you joining me every Wednesday at around 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And so does Barbara Bullen, our civil rights uh, radio show host. Her shows air by 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sundays. And um, please uh, visit our website, radio.newheightseducation.org. We kept up to date on different shows and happenings and announcements. And visit our, our home organization, newheightseducation.org, and consider donating. If you believe in fair and, fair and equal education for those that are willing to work for it, then we ask that you support our cause. Until next time. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings.